Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities. Eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam everyone. Hello, hello. This is Amina Rasul greeting you from Manila. I am with the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. And here's my co-host. Assalamualaikum, everybody. Hi, Amina. How are you? And uh, thank you again for joining us in today's episode of She Talks Peace. So, Ayesa, how have you been? What's new with Al-Bukhari International University? Well, we just ended our semester. But we will be going through our third semester, you know, in, in the coming week. So more teaching to go. <laughs> and of course, uh, I'm getting to be um, engaging more with our students. So uh, in Filipino, how can I say it? Parami ng parami, you know, more. I, I'm getting more, to know more, more students. Yeah. That's wonderful. I guess you were saying to me before when you were transferring to Albuquerque that um, you have a lot of students who are from Africa and the Middle East. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We are like United Nations. <laughs> I think there is no other university in Malaysia that really has a very uh, diverse uh, international student population other than what we have at Al-Bukhari. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's wonderful that um, all of these young Muslim minds from the Middle East, North Africa, Russia, Ukraine, come to a place like uh, Malaysia where, you know, it's uh, progressive, it's stable, there's uh, mutual respect, there's, uh, you know, uh, co cooperation and collaboration among different uh, peoples, different uh, faiths. I was wondering, do you have any students in Al-Bukhari from Liberia? Oh, that one I have to find out. Yeah, I was thinking about um, about that because you know our guest is uh, is from Liberia, and it must really be kind of exciting for her because they're going to have their elections on so October, October. 10. Yeah, yeah, October ten. Hey, Ayesa, did you know that the first woman elected head of state came from Liberia? 
that's a good surprise. It would be great to find out from uh, from our friends uh, how women um, participation is like now in Liberia after having such an amazing uh, model, right? A woman to become head of state in uh, in uh, in Liberia. That's that's uh, quite a feat. I remember when we had uh, former President Cory Aquino as our first female president of the Philippines. I was still in high school then. Yeah, that was really something you know very special for many of us, you know, especially for younger uh, girls, younger women, right? When you have these kinds of um, models that you you know that you really admire and you can aspire for, you know, to become. For young women to become leaders as well, that really changes a lot of uh, perspectives, you know, for both uh, the women and men in any country, in any state. I keep thinking, Ayesa, at, at this point in time, for instance, in uh, in Liberia, it would be so great to have a woman uh, running for for national office because they, because they've had, I mean, they've had like uh, more than fourteen years. Of uh, okay. civil war, and uh-huh. some analysts uh, compare it with Rwanda's uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And they're talking their peace about agreement was signed in 2003. The path to recovery is really, really daunting because not okay. only do you have the ravages of war, the divisions in society, uh-huh. but then they also got Ebola. They got. Yes. You know, they got affected by the COVID pandemic. And then, yes. of course, the Russia-Ukraine war, which is creating yes. shortages all, all over the place. So it would have been great to have a, a woman candidate. So can we say that? National election. <laughs> a female candidate will be a good challenge for, <laughs> for, for all the other candidates there. Yeah. Wouldn't it, though? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. you know, so I thought um, it would be really great to find out what's uh, mm-hmm. what's happening in uh, in Liberia these days. And did you know that in some circles they call Liberia Little America? Why? Let's Why ask our know? let's yeah, ask well, our friend. Yeah, we should. We should. <laughs> you should introduce her. Okay. Okay. So our guest for today is Miss. Seru Konagarlo. Seru is a feminist and a peace-building activist, and she is a senior gender specialist at the Carter Center Rule of Law Liberia program. So Seru has provided technical assistance and support to government, civil society, and women to promote gender-responsive and inclusive laws. She has also worked with USID and UN, to conduct post-conflict activities with respect to women survivors and strategize with women's organizations and networks in Liberia. Seru has co-authored this uh, interesting report on what women, what the women say, participation in UNHC, UNSCR 1325, a case study assessment and implementation of the resolution 1325 in Liberia. A Reflections of Women's Associations. She has also recently co-authored an article. This is this one is a journal article on the intensification of Liberia women's social reproductive labor in the coronavirus pandemic, 
regenerative possibilities. I mean, I tried to look up look uh, for this journal article, but I couldn't read it because you have to pay for it. So I want to ask Seru about you know what she wrote on this journal yeah. article. She can just educate she, us. Yes, because this is her recent work. And she is now a guest lecturer at the Department of Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies at Western University London in Canada and a member of the Lions Club International. So let us welcome Seru. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to join your conversation this morning. How are you today, Seru? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Ah, so far, so good. Ayesa and I had a, a, a really nice time talking about uh, politics in your country. And I was telling Ayesa that the first elected female head of state in Africa is from uh, Liberia. Mm -hmm. President Ellen, Ellen uh, Johnson. A lot of factors. We have been responsible for, for that after the war. Of course, the women play a major role in having her elected, but the groundwork was done long since. Mrs. Salif is a political activist, and she was seen as the lone woman in that field, because no politics is dominantly for men, right? Seen as for men. So women don't normally venture in there, but Mrs. Salif had been a politician for a very long time. I remember when we were in secondary school, uh, I, I follow her, I went to listen to her speak to places, right? So all accumulated towards the war, the crisis ended, and women started doing peace-building work. And we started preparing women at a community level, telling women, say, look, we have to have a female to be president. We have to have women taking up leadership. Not knowing that Michelle said we were going to run, not knowing that any woman was going to run, but we did it at a community level, preparing women. And the general public, most of the voting population thought that she has worked with the United Nations, African Development Bank, she worked abroad, she has the experience, she's going to connect the country after the war. She will be the best person to help start rebuilding. So all of those put together, I think, made her to have won the elections, the first and second round of the election. She served two terms, 2006 and 2011. Listen, listen, Ayesa. Um, the, the president, uh, former president Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, uh, there was a book, and she's uh, described as one of the living legends of Liberia. But guess what, Ayesa? In that same book, there's another living legend mentioned, <laughs> and it's Seru. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my. The room, she really influenced you a lot, didn't she? Uh, <laughs> oh, it's uh, our honor then for Saru to be our guest <laughs> in this episode. Oh, my. But what's happening today, Saru? How come, how come none of the presidential aspirants are, 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 are women? How's the political space? for you today that's, in Liberia. That's, that's the question we ask ourselves. And people thought that since Mrs. Sadi became president two times in Liberia, it, the two terms were prepared more women to take up the presidency, right? But looking at our challenges, looking at our background, the cultural, 
dimensions. There are several other factors that influence our elections. Our elections are commercialized, which means you need to have money to be able to win elections in Liberia. In Liberia, we don't vote based on, on teams. We don't vote based on issues. We vote based on ethnic line, right? Regional and ethnic line. So most of our, our candidates are chosen on our line. So um, I, I would say personally that we have qualified women that could run to be president for the country. But they also look at all of factors, the family line. Have my family approved of me to run as a president? Do I have the resources to run? And now women becoming more um, aware and women becoming more strategic. Do I have the constituents to run? Or because I work in one village or I work in your district, am I popular? Because you talk about running to be president, it's the whole country. The whole country, they, 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 they qualify voters, they won't go into vote for you. So are you prepared? So I think we may ask all of those questions. And if they don't find answers, they are not going to go into the to the to the um they're not going to stand up to run as president. But of course we have some female women who are vice presidential candidates. I've heard about three now we have um the person vice president uh uh, uh Howard Taylor and we also have another vice presidential, female vice presidential candidate, can Grace Kwan. And I think a few more may spring up as vice presidential candidates for this coming October 10 elections. But because of those challenges I talk about, are just huge. So women need to start working collectively or increase the collectivity when it comes to women, increasing women political participation, especially at the highest level, the presidency, we really need to be strategic, really need to work hard, improve again to the communities because most of the time you go in a community to work, the whole conversation, people hold you, hold women responsible for some of the errors, some of the mistakes that Mrs. Sadiq made, right? And so my question to them, we have one woman as president, she may, let's assume she may, 10 mistakes. Are you going to continue to hold on mistakes against women? What happened to all the men we have, we have had in right. this country as president have made all the mistakes, that mistakes right. that led to 40 years, civil That's war. That's a good one. 250 one, plus thousand people died. <laughs> women were raped, yeah. right? So what happened to those men? Yeah. You don't hold them liable for, you don't hold these men liable for the mistakes that all men made. And, 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 and it's just sad that women will always be judged in a different way as compared to, to, to men. So I normally ask people, when woman was born, or women, when I was born coming into this world, did God give me a letter, give me the discretion of how I should behave or how society should treat me? It gave a discretion <laughs> on how men should behave and how <laughs> men should be treated. And they will say, what are you talking about? No. I said, oh, huh. So we all say God made us, right? God made us equal. So why can't we be treated as human beings? Why discriminate? Mm -hmm. Why it's be so judgmental? Why when it comes to a woman taking on leadership, then a list of qualifications becomes so long and stringent. But when it comes to men, and a man can be, you can just, and a man mm -hmm. can just get her and sneeze. Hurt you so, and become... Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, Seru, that reminds me also of our two female uh, presidents in, in the Philippines. We had uh, former President Cory Aquino and Gloria Macapagal Arroyo. I think, and then uh, another aspirant in our last presidential election last year was uh, Vice President Lenny Robredo. You know, as you said, it's true. It it's the same, I guess, in many cultures that women are still, uh, you know, uh, criticized. You know, for many, uh, for maybe for the ten mistakes that they've made. You know, out of the one hundred that they've done well. So, I think it's such a common perception and that tells us really you know why are the why are there feminists like you and ourselves <laughs> so but then Seru, considering that you have done a lot of work and uh, you have been influenced yourself by president ellen johnson's sirleaf uh what do you think are the challenges today of younger uh, female leaders in Liberia? I, I, I think um, I would say our educational system is not well structured in a way that young women will be trained the way they should be trained, right? The, the educational system has a lot of fraud I'm not presidentially referring to it as a mess. The educational system is a mess. So for instance, I'll take a primary school. You go to a primary school and they don't have good sanitary condition, right? The girls cannot use the bathroom the way the boys use the bathroom because the bathrooms are not clean. They don't have sanitary pad. I mean, all the things that go with school for girls to be able to use the school. So it starts from there. I don't want to start listing the issue from the top. I'll take it from the bottom. How, how does the system, the educational system, prepare young women for leadership? There are some schools, private schools, that say women cannot be, young girls cannot take up leadership in those schools. But yet instead, they are governed by the government, they operate under the policy of the government. So if you have a private school that say girls cannot, because of religious, because of religious belief, that say girls cannot take up leadership in a school, how do you, how do you, expect girls to practice leadership. Certainly not, they will not practice leadership because they should be practicing from the home, they should be practicing from the school. As early as primary school or secondary school at the university level, right? So we have public schools that don't have the kind of restrictions. 
But the teachers too, not preparing women because the teachers are not gender sensitive. They will support more boys to take our leadership as compared to supporting more girls to take our leadership. So all of those issues also impact the way girls, girls will take our leadership at different levels. We don't expect girls to become teenagers and younger and just sneeze from a sleep and have a dream that I'm the student council president and you become student council president. You have to learn, you have to work your work your way through a system and the system not there to prepare them. So those are some of the for me are challenges that, that 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 young women feel. And of course, coupled with um the issue around sexual harassment and sexual you know, harassment abuse in these schools that intimidate girls, young girls from participating in some of these political activities. Few girls do participate. And when they participate, they shine. There was a small study done in Liberia that showed that girls attending all girls' school perform. Because they have all girls in a school, they have female or female school administrators. Yes, they have few male teachers, but the female administrators do monitor and ensure that the girls are in safe hands. We have uh, one of the schools, St. Teresa Convent, we have the Bromley Mission School. And you talk to the people that they say the girls do perform, they pass WIAC, all the puppets, tests, and things. And they come on top of the class too. So I mean, there's need to, to have most of, I'm not saying we should have all girls' school, but see how you can strengthen the system to support both boys and girls so they will be trained. Yeah, another example I gave for myself, growing up home, which as girls, we take instruction from our parents, go and put a rest pot on the fire or on the stove, Wash, go measure five cup of rest, wash the rest, put the rest in the pot, taste the soup and see whether it's seasoned. But why, what happened to your brothers? Your brothers are also playing soccer, they're arguing, they're negotiating. So how then do I become a negotiator to negotiate peace or community or have to negotiate a piece of land? Well, I have the skill to negotiate. Definitely not. I will not have the skill to negotiate. Because I didn't learn how I, I, I got instruction from my mother to learn how to bring things. Answer yes, no, yes, no. But my brothers were also negotiating. So they learn negotiation at an early stage. They learn community uh, work at an early stage. They learn politics because in negotiating, all the work at the community level, there are politics, right? They, they, they hang here with each other. They go in caucuses in a small group. They take the, 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 the football from the soccer field. They go in a different group. They negotiate. But we don't have that kind of opportunity. So for me, all of those supposed to prepare you as a young woman to take up leadership at the highest level, but they don't happen. But yet and stay, if I get elected as president and a man get elected as a president, they expect to all to perform the scene and produce the same results. Is that possible? No. Yeah, not possible. By the way, Cyril, um, I remember that you were really lobbying a lot um, to find solutions to counter uh, sexual, uh, gender-based uh, violence. And something you said struck me. You were saying that there are laws, there are national laws, uh, there are policies in place, but you thought that what should be done is to take this to the community level so that you could have community-led approaches to combat this uh, this hurts the sexual and uh, gender based violence, especially rape. What 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 made you come to that conclusion? And and what kind of um, strategy were you thinking of, Seru, when you talk about community led 
uh, approaches. Okay, so if you look at the rib law in Liberia, is one of the best, right? Who have the rib law? They have arrested several persons for committing rib. Uh oh, rib is defined in different forms. We have statutory rib. Then we have what we call ordinary rape. They have arrested people. They're going to court some of them. Pre-trial detainees, the government don't have the capacity to try them, so they are they are released. The people who do the rape, the men that do the rape, boys and men that rape these girls, all of them live in the communities. Studies have shown that people who violate women who rape are either in your household or your communities. So if you have the law, yes, you have the courts. In our country, the courts are not decentralized. The courts are in the capital city. So if I have to walk six hours to bring a case to the capital city to report a rape case or sexual harassment case, or I have to transport myself like $15 US equivalent, a poor woman who is doing vegetable or farming, what number one, she take a consider her time or the other resources that she spent. And the court system is so corrupt, you don't hear your case fast. Your case will not be heard the way you want it to be the time. They will have to schedule your case on a particular term of court and all of that. So all of those make um, people who want to report and seek justice, it make them weary, it make them tired, it make them weak. So then what do we do? As I say always, when we have this conversation, let us take the community-led approach. Let us sit with communities, both men, women, and everybody, let them tell you the understanding. What, how do they see and value women? What are value system, tradition say? Or traditional system, what do you say about women? What a value system do they have? How can they work to protect women from being violated and girls from being violated? So community-led project, you hold community dialogue with the leadership, the traditional leaders, the women, the men, the youth. And they will tell you because the time you take to say you won't prosecute cases, bring people to court, yes, people should be aware that we have laws that protect people. If you do, they, you can't go to court. But what the alternative prevention for me is better. So take some steps that will prevent uh, sexual violence, that will prevent all the other forms of violence against women and girls, and don't have, they occur before you try to find solution. So for me, prevention will be better. And part of the preventative measure is the whole community dialogue, community leaders, every actor, let us talk about it. You don't have to be a big workshop where you have to, do transportation in the evening. People sit, we have a culture of sitting by the fire in the evening and have people talk about it. If you have community animators, when you see community that will lead the processes, when people talk about it, then people hear it, people get to know, people come up with their own suggestions at the community level. I remember in one community, one used to work actively on SGBV. The community will make you know, a strategy that they use pata, two pata, if a man decides to beat his wife or any form of violence against the world, they should knock the part out together. So, and the horses in the community are very close. So when I start to knock the part out, my next door neighbor knows exactly that my husband is trying to do something to me, or my brother is trying to do something to my uncle is trying to do me. She will also start to knock her part out. And as soon as the township hears, the part out sound, the township knows exactly what's happening. Everybody will walk towards our house. And the man or whoever is committing that kind of act will be in trouble, and people will start to investigate. Those are some of the the, the community layer approaches I'm talking about to prevent uh, or minimize uh, 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 violence against women. 
Siru, it's been 20 years already since uh, you had a signed peace agreement known as the ACRA Comprehensive Peace Agreement in 2003. After that peace agreement, what were the programs or strategies uh, that were put in place in order to educate and to give more uh, empowerment to women, especially when it comes to conflict prevention and peace building? Yes. So we may say as a result of the peace agreement, but women themselves were, were okay. So when we signed the, the peace agreement was signed in who has ceasefire and everything. What we did as women leaders, we took the peace agreement and we sat down and had some facilitator who facilitated and explained every section of our peace agreement to us as women leaders. We dissected, we understood it, we analyzed it, everything. And we took it, we put it into simple Liberian English, right? And we took it to the communities and we explained to the women leaders at the community level. This peace agreement was signed and this is what they expected of the, 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 the interim leadership. We have a two years interim leadership. These are all the things that are supposed to be done. We're supposed to set up a truth and reconciliation commission. We're supposed to set up different anti -crime. We explained, we got women involved into, into that. So what we said in Liberia, we have a history of Palava Hut, where the elders in the community will sit and hear cases on a, on a daily basis, cases around rape, what they never used to refer, but now they can refer cases around domestic violence, that is worth beating, child abandonment. The elders in so hear those cases, so we say some of the elders do hear the cases under the Palava Huts, and the Palava Huts are now women friendly. The Palava Huts are dominantly managed by men, let us find alternative to that, that will empower women to also have the space to hear some of these cases. So we came up with something called the Peace Huts. Yeah, from Palava House to Peace Huts. So we work with the American Jewish World Service and the Evangelical Lutheran Church gave us the first money to establish the first two, first few Peace Huts. And what we did, we trained women to intervene in what we call the everyday cases at the community level. That case around two children fight or a chicken in the village, a chicken will go and jump in some alley rice, waste the rice or the oil. But what happened now after the women were intervening in those cases, the women at the same time were training on the different uh, topic in peace building, mediation, negotiation, or psychosocial, who are doing a lot of different training with different women leaders. So on a daily basis, the women will go to that piece or to the space. It's a space. They will sit there. It's a space. They will go to the space. They said people will come. So what started happening now? The police and other people started bringing criminal cases to the women. And we have already trained the women. We are already trained the women and told them, say, you don't handle criminal cases. You only handle non-criminal cases. All criminal cases should be referred. So we found out that, and then we started training the women more on the pathway to seeking justice of criminal cases. We started telling the women to refer cases around rape and other things. So the police and the women started working together. When they have the issue of rape, somebody came to the... Because the community members started trusting women, women started trusting women, they would come with rape cases to the women and say, oh, my daughter was molested by this man, they man raped my daughter, and the women will forward that case to the police. But they will not just forward and leave the case, they will follow up and ensure 
that case is put on the docket, that case is her. I remember a certain point in time, they even started finding transportation to transport with me from far distances to the capital city of the county because of where the ministerial courts uh, are seated, who be at the cases and the, and, the, and the sacred courts are seated. So they started transporting women and creating awareness. So these are some of the the unique program that we're making over at the community level. Are these peace huts still working up to today, Seru? Are they part already of the mechanism in the community? The peace huts do exist as I speak now. They do exist and it's part of the mechanism to sustain peace in Liberia. It still exists. I mean, you have women now. In fact, we can, we can always laugh and joke about it. We say that you and Queto taste success. UN women, UN women have now taken over and supporting the Women Peace Building Network and other organizations. That's really an amazing... Oh, yes, uh, from the ground up. We don't have that in Mindanao. I mean, we don't have that in Barm, no? What it does, if you have the Peace Hubs, the Peace Hubs will reduce, the Peace Hubs activity will reduce the number of people that go to courts. The women don't have to spend money because when they were going to the traditional leaders and the courts, they were paying money. So you don't, the women don't have to pay money. They don't already have money. It reduces the economic burden, financial burden on the women. The time, they will put in more time to the vegetable or whatever businesses they are involved in, they will put in more time. So it's very good for communities who have the community. You can name it what would be suitable for your community, but to have peace house and let women manage the peace house training and all of that, because we see even the government recognize the importance of the peace house. Yeah, I think um, what what um, I can see similarity in our communities um, is the fact that you really try to get the communities talking to each other, the you know the affected parties talking to each other, you know, come up with consensus. So it's really rooted in a sense of belonging to to one community. And in that case, Ayesa, we do have similar um, methodologies. And um, what makes this brilliant, this peace hut of uh, Serus, is really the fact that it builds on tradition. Right, Seru? Yeah. Uh, it builds build build on traditions, but it also get away yes. with some of the negative practices that were done yes. even on the traditional peace, traditional uh, uh, palaver huts. Yeah. By the way, Seru, uh, with the election coming up in on October 10, are you optimistic that the leaders who will be elected will be very supportive of your peace-building campaign? your lobby against uh, violence against uh, women, education for women. Are you optimistic, Siru? I'm somehow optimistic because um, most of the political leaders have said things around women's rights, have said things that they, they, will take, they will take some steps to improve the lives of women and girls and reduce violence against women. But saying it is another thing. So normally what we do, when any political party wins the election, we find a way to see how we come up with our strategy and wait for election results. If, if we don't have the opportunity to start working with the political leaders before elections, which we do indirectly, 
we'll hold conversation on radio, we'll, we'll hold meeting with a different uh, party leaders and tell them the different things we want as women. But as soon as like, the party wins election, we'll, we'll continue our engagement on a very strong note. We'll present to you what we want as women. This is what we see, this is what we want. And we'll continue to advocate and negotiate, advocate and negotiate at the same time because we use, we normally say, well, if you want things done in Liberia, we have a kind of small rat. I think you have those rats in the Philippines. They bite you and blow you in the night. They will be biting and blowing your feet or your hand. You will not feed a pain until the next morning when you wake up, you see your soul on your hand, your feet. So that a strategy we normally use because you don't want, because I say what society, government is all powerful, right? Government makes a decision. A government can decide that they will not work with a particular civil society organization and they will not work with you and they will form their own civil society organization and give it the, 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 the support they want to give it. And of course, the international partner, the donor agency, will recognize the civil society organization because they will truly be working. So what a civil society do, you do advocacy, but you do advocacy on a boy and blow basis. You're not, you're not opposition to the government. You don't do advocacy, civil society organization, and put yourself in a position, you'll be seen as a political party. You can say the truth to the government, tell them this is wrong, but come up with suggestions. What are the suggestions? So this is what we do. We come up with different comps. This is what we want to see in the educational system, the health system, in a different system to see women and girls' lives improve, that women and girls will get the kind of services they want to get. But sometimes you do all of that, they come to power, they become so corrupt. That's a disappointment. They become so corrupt and they don't use the resources and the money the way they're supposed to use it to the benefit of everybody. So that's the disappointing part of it. But we can't get tired as advocates, as, as civil society leaders. You have to continue to talk and continue to talk and also continue to mentor young women and young men to take over. And I'm happy that we have dozens of young women and young men who have established organizations, who have learned and, 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 and received mentoring from women and men who are taking over the civil space now to do more advocacy. Maybe you'd like to give your um, last uh, message or most important advice to other young women who are uh, very interested in doing peace building work and becoming feminist and maybe becoming the next uh, female president in their own country since we have a lot of viewers from different countries. What would be your advice or motivational uh, talk to all these young women? Okay, so before I go to the young women, I want to go to the society as a whole. Because most of the time, as feminists and women rights leaders, when we advocate on women issues, the society, our leaders, don't see women issues as societal issues. As soon as they have a rape, they'll say, go to the women leaders. Anything percent to the women, go to women leaders. Women issues are societal issues. So the society should plan to address women issues Women issues should be addressed by the whole country. It should be budgeted for. When you see it as societal issue, it will be addressed. That's the, the message for our, our leaders and everybody else. So for young women, don't let, don't let, for me, I would say, don't be apologetic about your intentions. Be very bold, unapologetic. No if and end. Go for what you want. There will be times that you'll be eating in the dead, but don't, don't let intimidation 
stop you from it because as women or girls, we always have to justify our inclusion. And sometimes justification or inclusion means knocking very hard so that they hear us. Yes, so it, we need to, to go for it and get it, right? Because when we sit down, it won't come to us. When they're planning, having meeting, holding meeting to make decisions, they don't think about women. They mainstream women issues. They don't plan for us. So we have to plan. So we need to knock to the, to the door, justify our inclusion because women and girls have rights. Our rights are human rights. And our rights should be respected. We should be seen as equal because God made us equal, right? God never sent us here with a note to say Cyril should be chief cook and men should be called chef. No. Yeah, because when, when they attach monetary value, then they change the title because they know men will compete in our sector. They say men are, they say chefs and women are cooks. No, God never said that. God made us human beings, male and female, to complement each other. So that's, that, that's my last thought for the day. Thank you so much, Seru, for, for that message. Now I understand why you are one of the living legends. In, <laughs> in Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, cannot, I can just see Seru sitting in a peace hut and having this very frank conversation yeah. with men and women. And I like what you say to young girls, do not be apologetic, do not apologize for who you are and, and what you want to be. I wish I had learned that very early on in life, Ayesa. Say with me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Saru, for joining us and sharing uh, the experiences, the work that you've done in, in Liberia. Amazing, completely yeah. amazing. Thank, thank you for having me. Yes, it was really nice talking to you, Saru. And yeah, I could imagine how uh, many more young uh, women in Liberia must be so inspired when they meet you in person. And I hope to meet you in person next time. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be on your show. And I hope that we're able to carry the conversation the way you wanted it. Yes, sir. We'll have a part two. Sure, sure. So for all our viewers and listeners of She Talks Peace, you can also send us your comments, suggestions uh, through our She Talks Peace podcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. So please give us more suggestions or if you have any feedback about this episode or our past episode. So thank you again, Saru, for being our guest. And Amina, Thank you. Till next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying goodbye for now and see you again for the next episode. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. 
Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.